Perhaps the most controversial topic of discussion in our day revolves around truth. Opinions often blur the lines of an objective truth. Streaming platforms, social media, and other public forums allow individuals to project their truths upon the masses like never before. In the midst of woke, cancel culture, religious freedoms, political liberties, and social injustice, we attempt to search for and reveal the truth. This is Truth Revival. All right, all right. Welcome back to another episode of Truth Revival. I believe we're season two, episode 22. We're full of twos today, Chappie. You blew me up during the week and said 8.30, which I speed read everything because, listen, on Tuesday alone, I had 56 phone calls before lunch, not counting text messages. And and, and then, so I firmly go by the calendar. And uh, so I was late this morning. My apologies, gentlemen. Yeah, that was my fault. My fault. I'm trying to get used to this whole calendar thing, too, but uh, we're doing all right. Listen, I'm a fly by the seat of my pants guy. Are you a, would you say you're a ready, fire, aim kind of guy? No, I'm like, throw that sucker on my shoulder and pull the trigger and hope to God it hits something kind of guy. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right. But um, uh, with us today, we got uh, two repeat guests. Uh, first of all, uh, the legend, Mr. Dennis Cagle. I right. don't know about the legend part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dennis, we're, we're glad to have you on board today. Great always, to be here. always gives a great insight. And Mr. Joel Hopkins is returning today. Yes, sir. We had some great feedback from our listeners with Joel. Uh, so that Joel knows a thing or two about uh, the, the Bible and Listen, Bible I, translations. I, thought, I get nerdy about certain certain things. I, in my in my in my mind, the, the last time he was here, I thought, man, if we ever added a third guy, I want him. Yeah, that's <laughs> no, shucks, man. That's so sweet. Well, but um, but you know, I wanted to uh, um, to to bring these guys in for for today's topic, uh, which is almost a continuation of the. Uh, topic that we done with Joel several episodes ago. Today's topic is going to be how the Bible was translated into English. Now, again, the history is accessible to anyone who's willing to do the research. That's true. And I don't want to get too muddy with the details, but we need to realize in second Thessalonians chapter number three, that as the church is spreading abroad, it started in Jerusalem. And any of you men care to venture or to share your opinion on why the church actually expanded beyond Jerusalem. Anybody just remember just scripturally? Um, the persecution. Persecution. <laughs> That's the reason. Yeah. They were happy. They were probably fat and sassy. <laughs> God was blessing them. And you know what? There's like, this is good. Yeah. And then Stephen got stoned. <laughs> then, uh, well, yeah. Well, I mean, no, no, granted. What, no, when I say that things were good, like the, they were, yeah, they were being persecuted. The apostles were being told, don't pray or, you know, don't, don't preach the gospel. They were being beaten and they were praying and, you know, the foundations were shaking. And 
So they were under a lot of persecution. But some, yeah, they the reason that the church continued to expand was due to persecution. And even in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the apostle Paul says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified. Another word for that word glorified is expanded, that the word may continue to expand and reach new horizons and reach new people groups, even as it is with you, or as the word has been expanded to you, pray that it would be received and expanded into other people. And guys, I've read that um, there are still 1.5 billion people who have not, or who do not have access to a copy of God's word. Now, again, that research, I haven't personally done that, but that is... A staggering number to think that there are still some people who don't have access to God's word. So there's still work yet to be done when it comes to translating the Bible um, to a language that people can understand. But the, the topic for today is how did we get the Bible in English? Paul, just real quick, give us your thoughts on, you know, the, the Bible in the English and just what that means to you. Well, I mean, you think about it. If if we don't have it, we can't study. We we uh, the people before us haven't heard and and don't know. And I liken it to to Acts chapter two. You know, when they're all there and there's men from every nation, and they're preaching, and these guys understand. Uh, you look at back in the 1500s when Tyndall was was alive and everything was going on. It was a really controlled religious environment, and um, so people people were, you know. We're expanding. Knowledge was expanding. So people, the, the vernacular, they're like, hey, you know, we're controlled by one head here. The Bible says what? To work your own salvation out with fear and trembling. If if all I ever did was learn from Dennis Cagle, all I would ever know was Dennis Cagle's view. If I can't read this word for myself, it can't be like it says over, uh, I think it's in Philippians, where the spirit teaches you. You know, so people were wanting something in their own vernacular and wanted to learn for themselves. I think the hug, God was putting a hunger in people to want to know something for themselves instead of one person just kind of lording over them, saying, this is the way it is. If you don't do it this way, you're wrong. You know, it's like a dictatorship. And, and hey, he, we're free in, in who he is. So I think there was a hunger in the people, and there was a push for the people. And Tyndale and a couple of those other guys, uh, the Lord kind of kind of moved on them and and pushed that way. Uh, Dennis, just give us your thoughts briefly on um, uh, the Bible translated into English. Well, <clears throat> when the Bible was first translated into English, uh, this happened, of course, on the United Kingdom soil, and uh, the first guy to translate any of Scripture into English was Wycliffe. In uh, Paducah, Kentucky, I mean, there's his name's all over the place up there if you drive through Paducah. He's the first guy. He translated uh, the New Testament first, and that was in like 1380, something like that. And then later he did the Pentateuch, and then he did individual books of Joshua and Judges and Kings and Chronicles and et cetera later. And uh, but he never really published those individual books, but he translated them, 
and uh, that wasn't viewed as friendly by the government, and there was reasons for that. Uh, in fact, you could you couldn't even. There were other English translations that followed. There was the Coverdale, I think, was the next one, and then the Geneva Bible later in the 1500s, which was a good copy. Here's the difference: Ten uh, Wycliffe's translation, he translated scripture from the Latin Vulgate. Mm-hmm. not from original manuscripts. And there wasn't a lot of original manuscripts that had been found at that time. But later in the 16th century, you get in the 15, late 1500s, 1580, something like that, then you've got William Tyndale who translated the Bible, and he, he didn't use the Vulgate. He used original manuscripts, what was available at that time, and, and, and more manuscripts have been discovered even since then. And uh, so the Geneva Bible was popular, and the United Kingdom government didn't want anybody to have a copy. And they gave what they thought were logical reasons. Uh, I'll give you an example. One reason was they didn't want people reading the Bible in English because uh, they might read over there in the Old Testament where guys had multiple wives, and they might start saying that that's okay and we can have multiple wives. <laughs> and, and so, you know, they tried to pull a religious reason to not print the Bible for people. And so they did allow some folks to have the Bible, but you had to get a permit. And uh, uh, then in the early 1600s, like 1601, 1602, something like that, uh the Bible was translated New Testament. They called it a King James, but it really wasn't. He just happened to be king at that time, and uh, and people wanted this Bible. So Parliament decided that it was translated in like 1601 and again before 1605, and there were discrepancies, grammatical errors, printers in those days had uh, issues, and, and one printer, I'll give you a simple word, the personal pronoun, he, one printer might spell it H-E, another printer might mm-hmm. spell it H-I-E, another printer might spell it H-E-E. That's literal. I mean, that was happening. Uh, so yeah. Parliament decided that they would authorize one version <clears throat> that would be consistent and they would make it available. And King James, just like a president here, would either sign a bill or veto a bill, he signed approval of it. Mm. He had nothing to do with the translation of it. But his name is on it because he was king. He was actually a very wicked king. And uh, I don't really want to go there, but he was very wicked. And there was a large number of people that would burn it because they thought it had his name on it. And they said, if he's got anything to do with it, this can't be from God. Mm. So it took 100 years for everybody to to come around and accept it as legitimate. And then, of course, I don't don't know. I I love Bibles. I've got a Geneva Bible, and it's fun to read. And it's not Middle English, but it is uh, an earlier English than our current King James, which has been revised several, I think, like five times, twice since <coughs> 1611. 
And and the reason for that, language changes. I'll give you an example. When I was, a, I'm 60 years old. When I was a kid, I can remember if something was good. Uh, I can remember when we used the word keen. That's keen. Keen, yeah, I remember that. Then I can remember when that changed to the word groovy. And then that changed <laughs> to the word the bomb, you know, back like in the 90s, the bomb. Yep. And when I was in high school, if, if a guy drove a car and it was a really a cool car, we would say, man, that car's cool. Now it's called drift. Now they say it, it's uh, it's bad or it's sick. Man, that's sick. Yeah, and that actually, means good. Yeah, actually, and, and the new word is dope. And yeah, I'll give dope. you another one. I, I can remember it hadn't been but a decade or two ago. You see a beautiful girl, somebody says she's fat, and that was a compliment. You remember that? Uh, language changes. Yeah, and so to understand scripture. Uh, you have to translate it, just like if someone's here from another country and they don't speak English, and we want to, if we speak their language, we could read the Bible, we would translate it to them, maybe without scholarship, but it's necessary. Yeah. So once the people got it in English... Uh, and and of course, of course, Tyndale's inspiration to translate it was really uh, birthed out of the Reformation and Martin Luther, and and of course, like Martin Luther, Tyndale died as a result of it. Yeah, he mar- he got martyred, and I, I think I thought it was cool how Tyndale. I mean, he he was inspired by the, by Luther, but. He took a little different view on a, on a few things than Luther did, and uh, I studied into that a little bit. I thought I thought that was neat, and uh, everybody's got their different take. But really, what spurred him uh, was Henry the Eighth, you know, trying to say it's okay for me to to di- divorce this woman, you know, and mm-hmm. and it sparked. Tyndale wrote a book, the practice of uh, Prelates or something like that, opposing Henry the Eighth's uh, planned annulment of his marriage. Yeah, just blasted him. And blasted him. So uh, a lot of people don't understand and realize that Tyndall was, he was a humanist. You know, he was was, uh, a professor and and he was into culture and into politics too. But it's kind of funny how if you look at it in today's society, the humanists are like anti-anything biblical but it was the humanists back in that day that brought the surge for the Bible. Mm. It's kind of changed positions. It's kind of it's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. So, Joel, you've been keeping things under wraps over there. Give us your thoughts real quick. Well, I was going to go back a little further and touch on the canon um, and just scratch the surface because you can get in the weeds very very quickly when you talk canonization of Scripture. So it's important to see we have sixty six books of our Bible. We have 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament, and it's important for us to see that it it wasn't decided that that was canon. It wasn't decided by us that those books were Holy Spirit inspired. Those books were inspired. They were inspired as they were written. It's do we have it right? Do we have the, the right ones? Do we have all the books that we're supposed to have? Now, there's tons and tons and tons of brilliant professors out there who are way smarter than me 
who've written at length on the topic, so I'm not going to go into why that is. So Michael Kruger is a good name to go by. He has several books on New Testament canon especially. But the canon itself is where I think we should start because if you don't have the canon, an established book, or an established library of books essentially, that are considered and recognized as Holy Spirit-inspired, divinely inspired, then we don't really have our Bible. So we do collectively have the correct books. We do collectively have the correct uh, Holy Spirit-inspired books, all 66 books. So then you kind of have to think around 150-ish A.D., there were heretical versions popping up everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's where you get the uh, the atheists like to throw out Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Judas, Gospel of... Uh, there might be a couple others. And it's... There are some differences in them, and, and they like to throw them up and say, you know, well, you got Gospels out there that you don't even recognize. Well, it's because they were written in the late second century. They, they were not written um, early like the other Gospels were, within the time frame that the canon is recognized. Oh. It's, it's, it's a very different thing. It would be similar to a letter popping up somewhere about Abe Lincoln being a serial killer today. And then, <laughs> and then us saying, well, wait, Abe Lincoln was a serial killer. Well, I just found this letter and it's really old. It's probably, probably not, probably yeah. not that old It's 150 years ago. This is brand new information. Probably not true. You either made it up or, uh, your line or whatever. So you had heretical versions popping up everywhere. Around 400 AD is when the Latin Vulgate uh, began, when Jerome came in and the he used the original Hebrew. The Masoretic. Text. Yes, he used the original Hebrew. Now that made some folks mad over the Greek Septuagint because the Septuagint was mm-hmm. a very recognized and the, and the Greek Septuagint is a whole different thing. So, sorry. <laughs> My wife told me not to apologize so much. This no, time. Yeah, don't yeah. apologize. Yeah, yeah. No. So he's getting nerdy over here. Yeah, no, you're, you're the next, you're the next in line. Yeah. You're the next in line. <laughs> so the Septuagint, there's, there's tons of legend behind the Septuagint. There's, they say that uh, the legend goes that 70 men were gathered together. Um, t- they collected their manuscripts in, uh, and they went to translate them to Greek. They went away to their own separate rooms, all 70 men. They come back, and every everybody was the same, word for word. No differences. And that was why it was divinely inspired and all this stuff. So whether those legends are true or not, you know, whatever. But it was a recognized thing. It was an accepted thing. It was an authorized, in a sense, thing. It was accepted by society. So... The problem was Jerome comes in, puts it into Latin, and he has differences between the Septuagint and his translation because he was using some different manuscripts and things like that. Really, really made some folks mad. And and it's it's similar to the idea today of the hard and and I'm talking about the really, really hardcore KJV only folks who think that everything else is heresy and all that stuff. I'm not talking about the people who just prefer the KJV. But it's similar to that in a sense that anything that was different is heresy because that was just so accepted at the time. And especially when you come in with differences. But it was like you were talking about words change. And when words change, 
translations will be different. That's just that's just the way it is. So what's and interpretations will, mm -hmm. will develop error. And what is hilarious is when Jerome came in and did his thing, and uh, the uh, bishop at the time, when he found out about Jerome's translation, this was his response. This was in uh, 405 AD. This was about around five years after Jerome had finished. He says, my only reason for objecting to the public reading of your translation from the Hebrew in our churches was lest bringing forward anything which was, as it were, new and opposed to the authority of the Septuagint version, we should trouble by serious cause of offense the flocks of Christ. I know that wording's a little tough. Whose ears and hearts have become accustomed to the listen to listen to that version to which the seal of approbation was given to the apostles themselves. So it's important to note that he does not object to Jerome's work on the basis of it being inaccurate. It's unfamiliar. Okay? That's the only problem with it. So what's hilarious, though, is Jerome's work ends up becoming the accepted new standard when we get to, I don't know, 11th, 12th, 13th century. And then when Tyndale and Wycliffe and guys like that come along and they come in and they're using uh, different manuscripts to translate from original Greek, and they're not using the Latin, they're seeing differences and using different wording than Jerome did. And that makes a whole new set of people mad because Jerome is now accepted. So there's been almost like a the, the whole point that I'm getting to here on that big spill is there's been a constant cycle throughout Bible translation history of what's accepted is good, leave it alone. Then a new thing gets accepted, this is good, leave it alone. And then another new thing gets accepted, this is good, leave it alone. And anybody who messes with that or sees a difference or has something that's that means the same with different wording, they they get persecuted for it. Mm. So that's the it's it's stunning. It's truly stunning that people will get so intensified, I guess would be a good word, over something that's unfamiliar. I'm gonna go out on a limb here, guys. Um I remember back in the day, whenever uh the Hamilton clan <laughs> would get together on a Friday night and uh, whoop, whoop. we would have our popcorn and we would have, uh, you know, our, 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 our family night. And all we had was the local channels, ABC, NBC, and maybe CBS. And depending on where the wind, if the wind was blowing or not, or if the, the sky was cloudy, we'd have to go outside and tune the antenna. Yep. We'd have to make adjustments. Uh, do you guys remember the antenna days? Yes. I, I was yeah. the remote control. Son, go out there and turn the antenna. <laughs> oh, we yeah. could only get two stations at a time. You'd have to shift the antenna if you wanted to. Dennis get and I are out of that age. Okay. I was on the on the bottom end of it, but yeah. <laughs> so so I was in that generation, but my my children don't know what that's like. Um I was also in the generation of people that got to see the internet up and coming, um, broadband, mm. and then the accessibility of the internet, you know, globally just becoming just so, uh, so common. And now, uh, Wi-Fi, you know, now wireless internet. Again, my children just think that the internet 
is always on and should be always on in all places. If they don't have internet, they're like, what, what, why don't I have internet? Or, you know, like when kids, uh, this also, this also bothers me when I have kids come over to my house and I don't know who they are. And they're like, what's your Wi-Fi password? <laughs> it's like, well, I'm not just going to give you my Wi-Fi password. <laughs> this is sacred information. Kid. You know? What are you talking about? <laughs> Let but, me get to know you first. <laughs> yeah, but like you uh, guys, think about what has had to happen in order for Scripture to get to this point. I've just got the Bible. You know what I mean? I didn't have to do anything for it, and it's almost kind of spoiled me. Yeah, that's I, true. We're all spoiled. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, as my children just think, oh well, uh, you know, I, I should always have Wi-Fi or. As we think, I've never had to, I've never had to pay a price, you know, like make a sacrifice for my Bible or or conceal the Bible or or only have a, a sacred page of it because you know I didn't have to share or I had to share it with somebody else because the accessibility of it wasn't so common. It was so so super rare. But guys, if we just think about the history. And, and and we have only just scratched the surface. Yeah. As you men are talking about this other stuff again, we can go down deep into the rabbit hole on this stuff. But I want to encourage our listeners to do that. Mm-hmm. But the Bible that you have right now in your hand, regardless of if it's the King James, the ESV, the NASB, how that Bible was translated into English, many men sacrificed mildly and devoted their lives for a great cause so that we could have that right now. And oh, somebody who, who says Roman, that? there's some things to consider here that, that I guess many people don't realize there are Bibles that are word for word translation. And there are Bibles that are thought for thought translation. Yep. And there's a huge difference We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Truth Revival is brought to you by Senor Lopez Mexican Grill, 105 Mechapike, Teleco Plains, Tennessee. Paul, why don't you tell our listeners what's happening at Senor Lopez? Hey, take the family down Monday night for trivia, 6.30 to 7.30. Tuesday is my favorite day. Tuesday is Teleco Spirit Tuesday, where 10% of all proceeds go to the town of Teleco Plains, Rome, which is a great idea, and I love that. Bingo, Thursday night at 6.30, and Saturday night is live music from 6.30 to 8.30, so take the family down, relax, have a great meal where the food is fresh and the family is welcome. Come home for dinner at Senor Lopez. And now, the continuation of Truth Revival. Thought for Thought Translation Bibles will will we'll call them usually a paraphrase. And they can be very helpful in study to expand your mind, to get you to, you know, to... Uh, to see a, to paint with a broader stroke and give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to teach you new things. But if you if you've got one manuscript in your hand and that's all you're going to have, it needs to be a word for word translation. Yes. Because word for word can be lost in thought for thought. And here's an example in uh, in the King James version. And by the way, 
Uh, I brought today, which I wish we could show some of this through audio, but we can't. I brought a real 1611 edition, which is very difficult to read. Mm-hmm. Does that say to Paul with love? And it, <laughs> uh, it, <laughs> many people don't even realize that a real 1611 in, includes the Apocrypha. Mm-hmm. And for folks who would say, what's the Apocrypha? Well, that's the book of Judas. That's the book of Barnabas, First and Second Maccabees. That's books that that didn't make the test of the canon. Mm-hmm. And they're included mm-hmm. today in a modern Catholic Bible. There are Bibles around the world that include it. There's historical accuracy that's found and, and some benefit that can be found to the person who's reading those, but they don't pass the test of inspiration. That's it. So they can't have authority that the rest of the Bible has. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and I don't know a lot about that test. I know a little, but that's not what we're talking about today. I trust it. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I trust that test, there are... Uh, I know there are over 800 copies of first century manuscripts that have been located, and and that's significant. And those match, and the dedication that scribes had to uh, the jot and the tittle, you know what I'm saying. Matthew so, 5, 18. I was going to say that, Dennis. I was going to bring it up, but we'll get to it. I want you to finish your that thought. That in right itself is miraculous. That's mm-hmm. as miraculous as as the prophecies that identify who the real Messiah is going to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when if you say that you're a... And I've seen uh, church buildings that would have, even on the front of the building, 1611, uh, you really need to understand what a 1611 is because it's written in Middle English. Mm-hmm. And when you go to the Bible bookstore or Amazon, and you order a King James Version Bible today, and it says the authorized King James Version, that is not a 1611, because it would have been written in Middle English, and the Apocrypha would be in it. And so that's just something to understand. Now, the King James is, I love it. I grew up on it, and and that's what I preach from. Mm -hmm. I study from, from multiple versions of the Bible, and sometimes other translations. There is a little difference in a version and a translation. And Joel might talk about that in a little bit. He's pretty well equipped here, and I've been impressed with his knowledge from the previous episode carrying over in today. But I'll tell you my opinion. The most I think that the King James Version is reliable, and I was going to give you an example of word-for-word word compared to thought-for-thought. Thought. In the book of Micah, I can't tell you the chapter, but there is a phrase there that refers to the battering ram that is breaking up the way. The, the, the description is uh, that animals have been pursued by a predator and all of a sudden there's this this brush that they can't get through and the battering ram with the horns puts the head down and breaks it up and opens up a way of escape and when you look into these minor prophets i mean they're primarily 
prophecies of gloom and doom, right? Yeah. But there are splashes of grace. And hope. If you look for it, <laughs> mm-hmm. there, Jesus, yeah. I've heard it said Jesus is on every page. Jesus, the Messiah, is in revealed in every book. Yep. And in Micah, here is one picture of grace where that battering ram, and it and it's translated in the King James, and it's lost in some other versions where they don't make that reference. And and that's a so if you're just going to have one copy, it needs to be a solid word for word translation. And in my opinion, King James version is solid. Of course, New King James is solid. I think that the uh, New American Standard Bible is as reliable a manuscript yeah, as you N- can yeah, find. And and it's widely accepted <clears throat> now the English Standard version, which mm-hmm. is a lot more recent, but it is proving to be as far as I know a solid manuscript and a good one. And, uh, and that's and, what I use. I use the SV. And it's yeah. my pastor uses it, yeah. preaches from it. So there's there's a lot of folks out there who love to trash the NIV and you know some verses that it doesn't contain that the King James does contain. So here here's I'll just say this: there's enough gospel in the NIV to save the world mm-hmm. if they <laughs> would read the gospel. <laughs> okay, and. Uh, it, as if it's going to be your only Bible, it's not the one to buy. I agree. But it certainly is a good one to have in your in your desk or your study area to read from and compare and to expand your thought. Other folks want to trash. I mean, the most popular paraphrase of all time probably is the Living Bible. Uh, but I'm going to give you a New Testament that you may have never heard of. I have one, and he never translated the Old Testament. But uh, uh, J.B. Phillips, the Phillips New Testament, I'm telling you, you can find it online, and you can order it probably from Amazon. Uh, you might find it in a Bible bookstore, or they might they could order it for you. But I've never seen it on a shelf in a Bible bookstore. But it is similar to a paraphrase. I would probably call it a thought-for-thought thought New Testament. And it's, it's marvelous in study. Mm-hmm. I'd never use it in a pulpit. But it's marvelous in study to expand your mind. That's what uh, going on the paraphrase or the things like that, the message. The message, I don't encourage people to buy it. Let me... Go ahead and say that. I'll get that out there right now. I don't encourage people to buy it. The story behind it is not bad, though. the 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 guy who wrote it, Eugene Peterson, he uh, he he had a great story behind it because he, I think it was in Detroit, and forgive me if I mess up some details, but I think it was in Detroit, and he was trying to teach um, inner city folks and uh, low income networks and things like that. He was trying to evangelize. He was trying to teach yeah. them the Bible. So expand the ex- word exactly. That was what he said earlier. So he goes in with, and I don't know what translation he was using. It could have been a KJV, it could have been something else. And he goes in and starts reading it, and they're just lost. Yeah. Like they cannot keep up with him. They have no idea what he's talking about. So he literally, as he's teaching, starts just writing out a paraphrase side by side and giving it to the, giving it to the folks. And it's in very common language. Like he doesn't worry about keeping poetic. Uh, 
right. lingo or anything like that. It's very, very, very straightforward, kind of a almost street language. Like it's just very common language. It's a really cool story behind how it happened, but then a publisher finds out about it. Then somebody says, hey, we can sell that. And then it booms into something that he never wanted it to be. And he's even quoted saying that he cringes when he hears it read in church. Really? It's not supposed to be read in church. It's supposed to be a side-by-side study tool. So, And then the NIV is a similar thing. People want to, to hate on the NIV, but the NIV started because a guy in like the 60s or something um, walks into a hotel lobby when he's traveling. I think he's an evangelist. He's traveling around and he goes into a hotel lobby and he tries sharing the gospel with an unbeliever who's never heard of the Bible. Like he's never even heard of it. He goes in and he starts quoting uh, King James scripture and the dude laughs at him like hysterically. He's like, why on earth are you talking like that? Like, why are you acting like you're a king or something? That's silly. And then that guy goes back to his mentor, pastor, whoever, and says, hey, we got a problem here. Like we, I just tried to witness somebody and I got laughed out of the room. And then like 10 years later, that's what started the NIV. The NIV happened from that conversation. Yeah. Good intentions, good intentions. These are not like heretical versions with some hidden agenda and conspiratorial some heresy. nonsense. Yeah. yeah, it's not that. Now, they may have a bit of a looser translation philosophy than we might like. Sure, but that's their intention is not to ruin the word of God. It's just to make it really, really, really accessible. I think as long as we can understand the motive behind these translations and guys, right in doing this small little podcast, this is creating awareness. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in the modern day church, the church that I grew up in, even the church that I pastor now, I was not aware of some of these other, maybe it was just because I was sheltered, maybe just Called small town USA or whatever you want to say, but I was not aware of this history and the translations of 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 scripture. Again, I just kind of grew up and thought that the Bible was in English and that's the way it was supposed to be written. And Jesus was American and all these other things. You know, <laughs> Joel, you said something about Detroit, and I, I made this comment to my dad one day. And Dennis, you'll appreciate this. My dad is a Southern gospel music fanatic. <laughs> he loves the Neelands. Uh, he loves, um, you know, the Gaithers, loves the cathedrals, uh, any Southern gospel, the inspirations. Uh, I mean, any Southern gospel group, my dad just loves them. We sung out of the Redback hymnal. Growing up in church, that's all we sung. Southern gospel, just good, you know. It's hard to beat. <laughs> sausage and gravy, you know, just meat and potatoes. I mean, just just good salt of the earth music right there. And, the, and let me point this out. The reason Southern gospel music, let me say it differently. The one thing Southern gospel music consistently offers that other genres don't in Christian music Southern gospel music, a lot of it tells Bible stories, Old Testament stories, New Testament miracles in song, where a lot of songs just elevate the name of Jesus, which is a good thing to do, right? And we praise you, we love you, you are love, you love us. 
And Southern Gospel talks about Lazarus being raised from the dead, how Jesus showed up right on time. Mm-hmm. And so Karen that's Beck. the one difference. That's one thing Southern Gospel offers. And, of course, it's my favorite. Genre. Well, you would be a little partial to Southern Gospel music, right, Dennis? I'm a little partial, yeah. But, hey, and, and, and let me say this before I forget it, because we're talking about language, it's a language I understand because I grew up on it, right? Right. You're so comfortable there. How many, how many, who would think it's normal if uh, a husband and father comes in at the end of a work shift and comes through the door and he says, Hark, my bride, thou beloved has arrived. Come hither and embrace me. <laughs> Woo. You know? I do it every day. I never did that. When I came when I came through the door, I'd say, Hey baby, daddy's home. Come give me some sugar. You know, so there's a huge difference in style. Oh, but gosh. The, the two <clears throat> identical statements, but different style. Uh but but Dennis, I'm sure will be a little partial to uh, Southern Gospel music. <laughs> Little fact for you guys, y'all probably didn't know this, but Dennis, you're a member of the Southern Gospel Music Hall of Fame. Is that correct? <laughs> Let's go. Absolutely. I'm reluctant to say that. I, I never bring it up. Uh, I'm only there by association, and I'm I'm not there as an individual. My name's on the wall. But I'm there because I traveled with a group that was inducted, Would you which tell us- means every member that's ever been in that group at any time period was inducted. That's what that means. That's awesome. Would you tell us just a little bit about the group real quick? Well, it's now they're in the Neelands. And when I traveled Rex with the Neyland. group, it was the Rex Neeland Singers. And prior to that, it was the Lefevers. Oh, yeah. And okay. uh, Eva May and, and, and was still in the group. Rex Neeland had been their bass singer for, for quite a while. And uh, Uncle Alf and all of, all of the Lefevers had retired except Eva May. And when she retired, Rex bought the group and the bus and changed the name to the Rex Neeland Singers. And that was in the mid-70s. And uh, so I, right out of high school, I had the opportunity to start traveling with them. And I did that till I got engaged. And I just didn't see myself as one of those guys that was gone all the time. I, I, was, I loved it. But I wasn't called to do that for a lifetime. What a, but that's a beautiful story. And, guys, I'll just attest, Dennis is a phenomenal musician in his own right. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to get off track too much, but kudos to you, Dennis. That's a pretty spectacular accomplishment. Joe, going back to what you were saying about Detroit, this is what I said to my dad. Mm-hmm. I said, I really doubt that Southern gospel music is going to have an impact in Detroit. <laughs> But around here, it's like Southern Gospel. That's all there is. It's all there was. You have to sing Southern Gospel. And if it's not Southern Gospel around here, that's heresy. <clears throat> but in Excuse Detroit, me. you know, is, that, is it going to relate? Is that going to have the impact? And I think, Joel, you know, this is, um, you know, y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, but we sensationalize the authority of Scripture. And we think that if we, quote a King James verse to somebody that it's going to touch their heart and it's going to just shock them spiritually and they're going to and the Holy Spirit's going to go boom whereas you know that's probably not going to happen that way because 
Well, that's like me saying, because I was baptized <clears throat> right out here in the stream outside, that somehow that's more righteous than being baptized in a fiberglass tub. You know, you know what yeah. I'm saying? There are folks who will be condescending mm-hmm. to anything that's new or anything that's different from their personal experience. But Jesus healed more than one blind person, yeah. and he didn't take the same approach with any of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'll go. I'll go back to what you said. We, I think we sensationalize our version of Scripture more than the authority. Like, of course, there's power in the Word, certainly, and there's power in the Word to to save souls and all those things. But it doesn't have to come out in Old Elizabethan English. It doesn't have to come out in ESV. Yeah. It doesn't have to come out in NIV. It's like it can. It's the power of the message. Um, get, there's two things that we, we have to talk more about Tyndale. He was such a stud. Well, let's, okay. let's just... All right. Are we ready to dive into Tyndale a little one, bit more? One, one thing. I want to say this real quick. Go ahead. Uh, back to your Detroit. I went on a mission trip to Detroit. It was whew, it was rough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to say this, referring back to what you were talking about, about the Message Bible and the guy paraphrasing everything. Mm-hmm. Dennis, you said inspiration is the authority of the Scripture. Well, the scripture says that we have to become some to win some. Okay, so when you were telling that story about the Message Bible, that dude, the the Bible literally did through that guy what it said tells us to do to become some to win some. That the translation he gave became some to win some, mm-hmm. and I think we're so stiff necked, you know, like Stephen told him, said, "You stiff necked son of a guns," <laughs> you know, my mm-hmm. goodness, wake up. You know, there's a spirit moving here, and and it's not all ah. Oh, we got to be ironed out and all this. We got to flow with who He is, and and that Bible became something to win some in that inner city. And I think you know, a lot of times we're closed minded, stiff necked on that when God's moving and doing things that we don't understand. And and what what do we do when we don't like change? We get fear. We're afraid. We're fearful of it. And and what comes with fear? death and persecution and all these other things. But we got to understand that if we're walking in him and we can step back and, and take this, this word that, that we've ingested in ourselves and let it flow, we can test the spirits and know, Hey, is this thing a heresy or is it, a, is God using this thing? And there are, don't get me wrong. There are heresies out there. There's, and I don't even like to say it out loud, but there's a queen James Bible. Huh? There is. What? There's there's one out there that that <laughs> folks have yeah. have, and it's old Elizabethan English, but they took out anything that would offend uh, the LGBTQ plus condemning. Yeah, yeah Any, really. anything that might offend them, they reworded see, it if to you're make it live fit. contrary to God's word mm-hmm. and call yourself Christian, you're going to have to develop a mm-hmm. copy of the exactly. Bible that condones the lifestyle that yeah. you've chosen that's contrary mm-hmm. to the lifestyle that God condemns. Yeah, right. so that's <laughs> obviously, sorry, that's obviously out there. But And then there are other ones too. There are other ones where people just make up stuff and they say that they were re-inspired and they have new revelation. All that is heresy, yeah. is. Yes. When it's a true translation of the Bible and they just worded things differently, I don't think that's heresy. Right. And see, that's now we're getting into some real meat here. We're 45 minutes into this thing. And what you guys just said right there, I don't want to gloss over that. We have to be discriminating. Mm-hmm. We have to be. Because, you see, if we must protect the integrity of Scripture. Absolutely. And when Jesus said in Matthew 5, 18, not one jot 
or one tittle will pass. Mm. What Jesus was saying there is from the most minute detail, from the smallest point. And you see in the Hebrew language, just an extra marking on one of the letters meant something. Yeah. And that was preserved through time because these ancient Hebrew writers preserved the word. And over time, those manuscripts may or may not have become a little bit convoluted or, you know, and that's why, you know, through the peer reviewed process and, you know, fact checking scripture and, and other men of God getting together, it verifies hopefully scripture. And that's what Joel called canon mm-hmm. referred to canon as early the harmony harmony of scripture mm-hmm. how does it all fit together is it canon does it all work together now again I, i'm not in that club to determine if something was you know right. i just inherited the bible i'm not a greek or hebrew scholar mm-hmm. you know but you know it's the spirit bears witness with me but as you said earlier joe in in this um the queen james which i had never heard of mm-hmm. Whatever that was, that is a perversion mm-hmm. of scripture. Mm-hmm. Just the title of it is yeah. a mockery. That's yeah. a mockery right there. But that is man choosing what 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 goes in and out of scripture. And this is the danger of, you know, again, I like the the word for word, thought for thought, paraphrase paradigm. Mm-hmm. But it's important that we try to get a as close a word-for-word translation, the authority of the original version. That's what we need to try to get as close to as as we possibly can. Um, and it's and it's it's it gets kind of messy when we start kind of going to some of the like I said, thought for thought, the paraphrase because it's loosely some of it's looser loosely interpreted. Um, but great study references. But again, everybody needs to get a good, solid foundation and a word-for-word understanding of God's word. We've gave several, uh, several. Uh, we recommend several versions: NASB, ESV, King James, New King James. Right there's at least four mm-hmm. for you right there, just to get started. If if you wanted to go a little further in, towards the paraphrase, no, this, this is not a paraphrase. This is just not quite as word for word, and it's not quite as paraphrase-ish as the NIV. The CSB is yeah. actually a decent translation, yeah. too. It's, it's going to have modern language, but it's still going to try to keep as word for word as possible. It was voted like the... The most readable versus word for word. It had the a lot of college kids like that. Yes, yeah. yeah. It's, no, and it's not a bad to the Holman. Christian yes, style. yeah. They it, used it was to be. actually developed by Lifeway mm-hmm. because I have. Well, I happen to know this for a fact. Um, my wife managed one of their large stores okay. when they developed the Holman Christian Standard Bible, mm-hmm. and uh, as a store manager, she received information. So this is not defaming Lifeway, mm-hmm. not intended to. It's just factual information. The most popular Bible they were selling at that time was the NIV, and they were having to pay royalties to publish it because they didn't own the rights to it. And they were trying to come up with a Bible that would gain the popularity so that they could quit carrying the NIV. That oh, was wow. the reason behind it. It didn't gain that much popularity. 
Well, it started as, like you said, the Holman, the HCSB, and then like in 2016 or something, they did like a rebrand. They oh, they restarted their marketing and stuff, and then they, they dropped the H, and it's called the CSB. I think they did make some minor translation changes, very minor, but they just rebranded, and it became more popular at that point. But it is reliable. From I don't read from it, I, I, it I, but I, I, I do have recommend. a copy I of do. the Holman, mm-hmm. but I don't read from it currently because it it didn't bring mm-hmm. any new information or fresh insight to me. It's endorsed, but it's reliable. I, it's endorsed by some good names. Al Moeller says it's trusted. Some other guys, stuff like that. So anyway, <laughs> Dennis doesn't approve. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but anyway, let's try to let's try to get back on track here, guys. Uh, would, you, would you say you had some other things, Joel? Tyndall. I he just wanted to. Tyndall. I wanted to talk. Anybody? We got to talk more about Tyndale because he was he. I mean, they call him the father of the uh, English Bible for a reason. Like he's just. Let me give just a little few tidbits, and you take it away. Go ahead. He was forty-two years old mm-hmm. when he when he was martyred. He translated eighteen copies of the New Testament. Today, there's two full left and a piece of another. I didn't know that. That's cool. But this guy in 40, and and think about this, Dennis. You live to be 42 years old, all right? And you translate 18 of these. That's a lot of time. Yes, it is. You got to be devoted and truly believe in what you're doing Mm -hmm. to devote that kind of time. Take it away. Um, he, uh, He was just a... He was a language. He had a gift. He had a gift for languages. I think that I read that he had. He was fluent in eight languages by the time he started actually his translation work, but he started the new. T- okay, Wycliffe and some other guys. There were other English Bibles at the time, but the difference that set Tyndale apart was he went back to the Greek, where other English Bibles used the Latin. Exactly. Vulgar. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what set him apart. Um, and it was very, very illegal at the time to like that. There are stories of people being burned at the stake for having a note with the Lord's prayer written in English. They were burned at the stake for this. Like the, having a, tra- any words of the Bible in English, anything outside of the Latin Vulgate was super, super, super bad at the time. People were killed for it. So Tyndale, um, at some point, and I hope that this story is true, that uh, I hope it's like, I wish we had like a little video of it because it's just, it's awesome. So at some point he is speaking with a priest and this is before he started his translation work. This may, I hope this was something that inspired him to begin his translation work, but the he was debating with this priest on scripture and stuff because he knew all the scriptures. He had read all the different translations because he knew Greek, he knew Latin, he knew all these languages. So he was debating with this priest about certain things, the scriptures, guidelines that we should, we should use and things like that. So this priest looks at him and says, better to be without God's law than the Pope's, which is a stunning statement. He's, mm. he's literally saying, I'm more worried about what the Pope thinks. Wow. So then... <laughs> Tyndale looks at him and says, I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spare my life, I hope to cause a boy that drives the plow to know more than the scripture than thou does. The battering. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, he looks at him and says, the farm boy, he's going to know just as much as you do. So that was what 
hopefully, I think it'd be really cool if we could look at it back and be like, that conversation's what started it. Yeah. But <laughs> that's an awesome quote from him. So he goes and starts translating things like that. He's, it says that almost 90% of all modern Bibles reflect his wording. He was a genius at keeping true to the text, word as word for word as possible, but still making it sound beautiful, yeah. still making it sound um, poetic, and, and there's a poetic flow to it and things like that. The words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that was Tyndale. Um, there were, I'm going to read from the book here, uh, Tyndale was the creator of unique words and idioms the, that entered the English language. For example, Tyndale crafted the words Passover, scapegoat, and the st- for the story of the Exodus and the work of Christ in the New Testament. He also brought out the word atonement. Um, some other words include, or words or phrases include, gave up the ghost, um, my brother's keeper, the signs of the times, fight the good fight, the twinkling of an eye, judge not lest you be judged. We do not use English today without at least the possibility of speaking the words of Tyndale's Bible, which should be one of the most celebrated works of the English language. So he's, He's not only bold, he's not only willing to die to get the words of God into the hands of the farm boy, but he's also a genius because he he worded everything so beautifully that not only did, and he did a lot of other things too, like, uh, of course, taking advantage of the printing press at the time, and, and he literally escaped England to Germany so he could mm-hmm. translate and then he had it secretly shipped back in, yep. and then they found out he was eventually executed. They strangled him and burned him. Um, you know, his just, last words were, his last words were, Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. Mm. With zeal. and he, Oh, man, can you imagine? You know, I, think about that, guys. To, to be strangled, to be burned, you know, they'd be probably, excuse me, To be strangled, be burned. Most of us would probably, you know, crying for mercy or begging for our lives. Or man, he was committed to the cause. And you know, we going back to something that I had said earlier. You know, we think that the King James version has power; it has authority. And the Bible says God's word will not return void. And God's word has power. I know we all believe that. But there was a passage in Scripture, Matthew chapter 17, somewhere around verse 20, uh, whenever Jesus' disciples went uh, to, to cast out this demon from this boy that was vexed with an unclean spirit. And, they, and then the guy said, your disciples couldn't get this done. And Jesus said, this power comes not but through prayer and fasting. I'm sure that they may have repeated some of the common phrases or things that Jesus had said. And when we just regurgitate information or when we regurgitate the word of God, there's there's power there. But in order for the word to really have authority, in order for the word to really have power, it must be inside of us. It must be that living word, having a relationship with God, having a connection with the Father, having a daily devotion, that daily bread, that passion, that zeal, that relationship. 
Oh, man. And guys, I hope that, you know, as we that, I mean, let's try to wrap this up here. I know everybody's probably got more to talk about. But really, at the end of the day, this is what it all boils down to is being passionate about reading that word and having a desire to know what God says to you. How is God speaking to you through his word? How, what kind of manna is he giving you through that word so that you can then live out his purpose? Dennis, it looks like you're about to say something over here. I want to, I want to draw attention to a verse of scripture that's very unique in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7 mm. because we use the phrase and hear the phrase Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We use it. We read it in scripture multiple times. But there's something very unique. In John's writing of 1 John 5, 7, he says, there are three that bear witness in heaven. And instead of saying Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he says the Father, the Word, capital W, and the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you go to the Gospel of John, the first chapter, chapter one. in the beginning was the Word. The Word, the word was, was with God. Yeah. The Word was God, verse 14, and the Word became flesh. Mm-hmm. So the Word of God is a is the printed... I, I don't want to be a, a spreader of heresy here. The Word of God is equally authoritative to the mouth of Jesus because he was the living word. And we have to give lots of effort to maintaining the purity of it. Yes, I agree. Because we not only uh, can spread untruth, we can bring a sick or lame offering and as Malachi talked about, uh, we bring an impure heart and we pollute Jesus himself. Mm. And uh, we, have, we have to be dedicated to the purity of God's word. Being responsible stewards with what God has entrusted us with. And men like Wyclef, Tyndale, Fast forward through time. Now it's Cagle, Chapman, <laughs> Hopkins. In our own little world. And well, right? that, I'll in, give you that. I'll in, agree with that. In, in our in our little community, down on Cagle Road, Mount <laughs> Vernon, okay? Uh, or down in, you know, Cleveland or wherever or you know, Turtle Town or <laughs> Ball Play, okay? Uh, Coca Creek. Wherever it's at, I mean, men, if we've been called of God, then that's that's our mantle. Yeah. We've been called to we've been we're torchbearers for the time. And if we believe that God is omnipresent and uh God sees through all time, for whatever time he put us here, and to be faithful in the little things, would I like to have a much larger ministry and for you know People to, you know, uh, herald the acclaims of of Roman Hamilton and and I. Well, I think everybody would, right? You know, um, I don't mean to be. Uh, I don't want to sling sling mud or anything right now on this on this guy, but Johnny Hunt. You know, everybody's heard of Johnny Hunt, pastor of uh, um, First Baptist Woodstock. You know, vice president of North American Mission Board. Well, he's under some a bit of a scandal right now. I understand. You know, but like he's 
a very he, he's, he's a he, he's a very prominent leader. Yes, in in the the north from the North American Mission Board side. I mean, he in in uh, Southern the Bab, Southern Baptist Convention. You know, and Johnny Hunt. He didn't come from a big family. He didn't. But who decided that he was the he was going to be the face? God allowed him to. You know. So if any of us get elevated. It's only because of God, mm-hmm. you know, Dennis. The, the the way that you achieve that, you know, Hall of Fame status in the um, Southern gospel music is only because of God. And, and but I think we all we all want to get jealous of some of these people who get elevated. But guys, let's be faithful in what God has called us to do. Yeah, man. Right? Look, I want to finish well. I, exactly. Let's not get caught up and be like, well, I want to be elevated. I want to be known. Let's just be responsible stewards with what God has entrusted us with. That's what I want to do. And, um, and he called us to bear fruit. And the gospel says, I pray that you bear fruit and that your fruit remain. I don't want to, as Paul said, I don't want to disqualify myself at this point in the race. I want to finish well, finish strong. And right now, we are living in a time when the Word of God is under attack. The authority yes, of God's is. Word is under attack. And so anyone listening to this podcast, you need to realize that your faith will be under attack more in the future than it ever has been in the past. People are questioning the validity of the Word of God, and as a result, we we need to be rooted and grounded in scripture not just necessarily in what it says on the on the page but also in our heart because i'm telling you what guys when that word is alive in you and your lips are seasoned with the holy spirit boy that'll touch people all right and 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 if you're like well roman i don't really know the word of god i don't really i can't really memorize verses the first Corinthians chapter number 13, the greatest thing that you can do for people. All right. Jesus said, hereby will all men know that you're my disciples. It didn't say if you just overwhelm people with scripture, right? Right. It didn't say if you tell all these big, long, great stories, it said, if you love one another and guys, that, that word love we, I, we can all tell you what it means. How many of us really live it? Okay. I've, I've, I'm going to end with this quote, and I'm going to let you guys end. This is such a beautiful quote. But it says, people won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And this word right here, there's a beautiful love story that's written in here about how man fell from grace. But God, while men were still in their sin, sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our redemption so that we wouldn't have to suffer from the wrath of God, but we could be redeemed and restored into the presence of an almighty God. There's a beautiful story here, guys. Jesus died for people, love people, 
That's all I got. Uh, Joe, we'll just start with you, and then we'll just work our way over to Paul. Um, going off what you just said, hiding, similar to the scripture of hiding the words in your heart, um, Tyndale, when he was, before he was executed, he spent 16 years in a cell, basically. There are terrible details of it about how he was in the dark for the majority of that 16 months and uh, whatnot. Um, he was asking for his manuscripts and things like that. You said so 16 months? 16 months is what I read, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so he was he was in there for 16 months before he was executed. This was, I don't know if it was just meant for torture or if it was the trial or whatever. But So anyway, he uh, the, the story goes, I heard this on a lecture, and I forgot who it was, um, said that he asked for his manuscript so he could continue his work. He was denied. He asked for a light so he could see. He was denied. So in the dark, he made friends with the jailer and the jailer's daughter. And eventually, the jailer and the jailer's daughter became converts to Christ. Because Tyndale knew the scripture so well, and we don't have to learn it in eight languages, guys. But he mm. knew it in so well, that, and they saw his, his love for the Word of God. They saw his love for even people who are keeping him in a cell. He, they recognized the love that he had within him, and they became Christians. That's the way the story goes. And then I was going to name a few resources for people who, who want to dive deeper into the stuff like this. There are two books by, and I'm, I'm pretty sure his name is Michael Kruger. I don't have it in front of me, but his name is Michael Kruger. He is a New Testament scholar um, on the canonization of Scripture, specifically New Testament. The uh, He has two different books out, and I don't know their names. You can go to Google and type in Michael Kruger canon, and both of them are going to pop up. So if you want to dive into the canon of Scripture, that's a great resource. And then if you just want to skim the surface, kind of like what we've done today, there's this really nuts and bolts book called Know How We Got Our Bible by Ryan Reeves and Charles Hill. And it's it takes you through basically beginning to end, nuts and bolts, nothing much to it. And then last one, the Mike Winger video series that I mentioned last time. Please go watch it. I cannot recommend it enough. It's so helpful. So, so helpful. So thanks for having me. It's been awesome. fun. I love it. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. Brother Dennis, closing thoughts. Well, the, we. <clears throat> this has been great. I, you know, I uh, I had really wondered, how is this going to go today, this topic? <laughs> and uh, then we got here. You said we're not going to talk about it prior to recording. And, and I just wondered, what direction is this going to take? And I think if you've stayed with us through this entire podcast, hopefully you've ended up with a realization that God's Word is the only thing that's never going to change. And the way we present it may change. The words we use to articulate it may vary. But the message in it mm, the of the gospel and the only hope that we have is in Jesus Christ, and that's never going to change. That's a soundbite right so there. So I hope that today you won't go away from this trying to de defend some preconceived idea that you may have. Well, brother so-and-so said this, and he was my, I love him, and, uh, you know, let's just shell the corn, simplify it. I'll give you one quick example. I, when we get into the debating things, something is usually lost that's important. And I can remember when I was a kid, my pastor, he baptized me after I was saved. He was illiterate. He couldn't read. 
He was a great man of God, loved Christ, couldn't read the Bible. His wife read it to him. And I remember, for some reason, he was preaching a sermon, and he got on the doctrine of election and predestination. It was over his head, obviously. And as a kid, I left confused. And I asked my grandfather, I said, Papa, what was the pastor talking about election? I was just a kid, seven, eight, nine years old. And he said, Dennis, it's like this. Jesus voted for you. The devil voted again you. And whichever way you vote, that's how the election is going to go. You know, that made sense to me as a kid. <laughs> that's true. Simple truths. The choice is ours on the side of the right. Accept it. Believe it. Put all of my eggs in the basket. Give the basket to Jesus or handle it myself. And as I look back over 60 years, everything that I handled myself, you could say, well, how did that work out for you? <laughs> Usually not too great. Mm, yeah. Thanks for having me today and doing this podcast. It's a lot of, it takes a lot of time from you guys and from your families and what you do. And uh, I don't know how large your audience is, but uh, but it's probably larger than you think. I do a weekly devotion. Can I plug it? Absolutely. Uh, it's on social media, on Facebook platform, and it's a private group that has grown to a little over 7,400 people. I didn't plan it. Uh, I, f I fell into that. There's a story behind it that's beautiful. Never planned to write. But it uh, is delivered into your notifications on Wednesdays. And if you'd like to be a part of that, just do a search, Soul Inspiration. There may be other things with the same title, but you'll find the one that gives a description of a weekly devotion by me. And just uh, hit it up, request to join. I'll accept it. And it's also, if you don't do Facebook, uh, and there are a lot of folks who have quit social media because it's so addicting and, and it dominates the time of some people and they realize I can't do that. If that's the case, uh, my devotional writings are in two newspapers every week. The uh, Monroe County Advocate on Wednesday and the Daily Post-Athenian on Fridays, and I don't get any monetary payment for that. My payment is occasionally I run into somebody and they'll say, are you the guy that writes that thing in the paper? I, you look like him. <laughs> That's my payment, and uh, it makes my day. have no idea how many people read it, but I occasionally... Uh, have an opportunity, you know, to say, yeah, that's me. <laughs> you know, Dennis, it reminds me of a sower went forth to sow the seed. Yeah. We don't know how much seed he sown. That's right. You know, but some some of it fell by the wayside, some on the stony ground, some among the thorns, some fell on good ground. That's right. That's why we call you the legend, brother. <laughs> You've been sowing seed for many years. Bless your heart. And it's been a lot of good seed. It's fell on good ground. Thank you, Dennis, for your faithfulness. Brother Paul, mm. close us up here, brother. <clears throat> I received a Bible from my great uncle who became a born-again believer in his 70s. And, 
answered mm. the call to preach. And I think I, I'm pretty sure I received this thing in 1994. It's a King James study Bible. And on the open page, it says, Paul, ingest this word into your heart and into your spirit, and it will never steer you wrong. Amen. Love, Uncle Harrison. And every now and then, I'll pop that Bible up and read that. And you said something earlier, Dennis. I'm kind of getting emotional at the moment. Um, as I think about Tyndall on that stake, saying, Lord, change the mind of the king. And I think about that. And I think about in the beginning was the word. The word was God, and the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And it dwelt, dwelt among us to give us a chance, Rome. Mm. to give us a hope, to give us a future, to give us life. And I think about Jesus suspending himself between heaven and earth so we would have a hope and a future and a life to the point that it meant so much and it rattled so many things in the natural realm and in the spiritual realm that Tyndall knew that it was real, that he didn't fight them when they tied him to that stake, I would say, that he willingly went and said, Lord, change the mind of the king. Mm. And I just want to charge our listeners, do you understand and realize the ramifications of what Jesus did, that it was so awesome and so impactful that Tyndall laid down his life for that so you would have a chance to have a translation that you can understand in your vernacular? And my question is this, will we? Will we believe enough? Will we understand enough? Will we deny ourselves enough to know that what Jesus did that impacted Tyndall, it can impact us the same to where we can say, hey, Lord, please open up the eyes to everyone we come in contact with. Well, guys, I think there's more still on the table here. <laughs> We've done our best, but boy, oh boy, we're just scratching the surface. So, guys, thank you again for coming on board. If you like the show, be sure to check us out on Facebook. We're at uh, Truth Revival 37385. Joel, Dennis, thank you, man, for coming on board. We'll be sure to uh, I'll put a link of your um, uh, devotional in the, uh, in the description of the show. And uh, for Paul Chapman. Studs right here. That's right. <laughs> for Paul Chapman, I'm Roman Hamilton. We're out of here. <laughs>